Hey, nice to see you. I'm Peter. I think I've met most of you before, but it's so nice to be back. And Diane, my wife, is with me, and I'm the Victorian Director of Family Voice Australia, a Christian ministry. Our task is to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to persuade governments to examine or understand or take on a Christian worldview when they're making decisions in various parliaments around Australia. It's a pretty exciting time. We rejoice, of course, that we have a Christian Prime Minister, and I know all of you would have had some sort of involvement in the recent federal election, and we did, of course, too. We were able to reach more than a million people on social media prior to the election, and particularly popular was our comparison between major parties, so that just went everywhere. Uh, but I'm not claiming that we had a, a massive influence on the election alone, but lots and lots of Christian groups worked together prior to the election, and so it was a wonderful result, we believe, to have a Christian in that wonderful position of Prime Minister. And also because of the new rules that have been established in the Liberal Party, we're going to have that Prime Minister for the full term, which is pretty exciting considering past history of Australian politics. I'm particularly interested in 2019 in raising up a new generation of people who know the truth about Jesus and want to proclaim that truth in our country. So young adults particularly. Another campaign that we have, which is uh, moving forward very well now, is a campaign to bring to the attention of Victorians and Australians again this terrible genocide of unborn children in our country. So more than 100,000 babies each year, uh, well, their lives are taken because of for a whole lot of different reasons, but really that needs to stop. We need to talk about it. We need to pray about it. It's probably the most concerning aspect of the rise of secularism in our country. I've got a program of visiting MPs and I'm well into that uh, because we have a new whole bunch of new MPs in the Victorian Parliament and so that's a big part of my job. One of the campaigns we're running at the moment is against a bill called the Births, Deaths and Marriages Registration Amendment Bill. I'm going to preach from the scriptures so don't worry, I'm about to get into that. And it's going to be Luke chapter 12, so you could go there if you like. So this bill, the Births, Deaths and Marriages Bill, is the one that we faced in 2016. I think I talked about that here previously. It's the one where our Victorian government wants to give Victorians the right to change gender. Almost at any time, just with a statutory declaration. So anyone over 18, if the law is passed, it's in our parliament at the moment, they're on their winter break. They come back on the 13th of August, so they'll be right into debating it then. And so they want to give Victorians the right to change gender with a statutory declaration, but only once a year. Children, of course, will be able to do so as well if they have their parents' permission and a doctor or a psychiatrist as well. But still, there's this process where they want to establish gender fluidity further. Um, legally into our culture. There's a continued struggle 
and groups like Family Voice are in this struggle, this wrestling, and you are in prayer and through your actions a lot of times too against the rise of socialism in our culture and the consequential persecution of Christianity. So that's Family Voice. That's what we do. We wrestle with governments, but we also have this glorious privilege of talking to wonderful people like yourselves. I brought two books with me. You might like to have a look to see if you want to buy them. You might still have them at home uh, after, as a result of your, your time at school because they're both by George Orwell. One's called Animal Farm and the other one's called 1984. Uh, if you'd like to be refreshed on what happens when socialism takes complete hold of a culture, which is what's happening in our culture now, why not read those two books again? and just see where it's all going. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 54. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, Jesus said. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? And when you go to your adversary, or with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. Well, thank you, Lord, for this amazing word. And Lord, help us to dig into it and be strengthened through it, but also to be challenged and guided through it, Lord, in Jesus' name. There are three key sentences in this passage, I believe, and they're challenges that Jesus throws out. And maybe to us, I think to us, he's talking to the multitudes. So this is a group of people in Jesus' time. But I think we can apply that to us if we just want to take some gems out of it. I think the multitudes are perhaps a little bit religious and you're not, but he calls them hypocrites. And so we've got to keep in mind that probably the crowd was not that sympathetic to Jesus. They were a little bit contrary. But still, let's have a look and just see what might be in here that might help us to understand what it's like in our times. The challenges are, one, how is it you don't discern the time? Secondly, Even of yourselves, Jesus says, why don't you judge what is right? And thirdly, which doesn't quite seem to fit, but we'll find that it does, he says, why don't you settle your debts? So discern the time, judge what is right, and settle your debts. That was what this short passage was bringing to the crowd. My dad used to quite often say, red sky at night, shepherds, Red sky in the morning, shepherds, we still use it today. And dad was always right. If it was a red sky at night, you can be sure it was going to be a beautiful day the next day. 
And the same with the red sky in the morning, there was a bit of a storm coming. And Dad used to also say, if the kookaburras are laughing up in the gum trees, there's going to be rain. And Dad was always right. Sometimes it took a bit longer before the rain came. I think the longest was about 10 years. But Dad was always right. And Jesus is saying something a little bit similar to the Pharisees or the, or, the, or, or the religious people or the crowd. And he's saying, well, when you see a cloud coming from the west, it comes up over the Mediterranean, you know it's going to rain. And he says, it does rain. When the wind's coming off the Arabian desert, there's a hot wind, you know there's going to be a hot dry spell, and there is. But he, he says to them, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. And how is it you do not discern this time? And he's really quite strong about it because they can see the signs in the sky. They can listen to the kookaburras. They know what's happening in the natural, but they don't see that the Messiah has come. They miss the most important fact that Jesus himself, the Messiah, is in their midst, despite all the prophecies, despite the prophets, despite his preaching, despite the miracles. They refuse to admit, they refuse to see even that Jesus, the Messiah, is with them. And so I just wanted us to think also about what Jesus is doing in our culture and Jesus' presence in our culture and particularly through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent when Jesus went to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit is with us now in our midst, in us, upon us, with us. But who is the Holy Spirit to you? Is the Holy Spirit a good feeling when we're worshipping in church? Is the Holy Spirit the gifts that we exercise with each other? Or is the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity? Is he God? Is it God who is with us, who knows us, who travels alongside us, who guides us? The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? While Jesus is challenging the crowd, saying, why don't you recognize me, the Messiah? I think perhaps we have this challenge also. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? Secondly, he goes on in verse 57, he says, Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? It's interesting that this word right means equitable. So equity or equality. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But he says, why don't you judge what is right? And in a sense, he's saying that you can see the natural, you can't see the spiritual, so you're not judging what is right, what is even better, what is even more important. And I want to sort of move that towards the lies in our culture because sometimes we accept the lies that are given to us from the culture and we swallow those, but we don't focus on the truth of what the Holy Spirit is telling us about culture. Have you ever been told a lie? Have you ever been deceived? Well, I went to stay with 
a friend, Diane and I went to stay with a friend. Family Voice is a faith ministry, so we don't get a wage as such. We're just supported by generous people who believe in what we do and have been now for 13 years. So it's been a really exciting time walking on the water from that point of view. And one of the people who supports us lives down near some lakes, and I can't remember the town that he lives near. Anyway, it's in, it's in eastern Victoria, and he lives near some lakes, and he's a bit of a boy. He's got all these boys' toys. He's got a, a, a racing car or, or a sports car, and, and he used to have a plane, but now his health has got to a point where he's had to give that up. But he's also got a speedboat, and so he wanted to take me out on the lake and I've never done water sports, and he wanted to teach me water sports. And so we got out there, and the girls were in the, in the boat. And before we started, he said to me, it's very, very easy. And so I got in these skis, uh, water skis, and I got the skis you know, pointed in the right direction and the tips of them just out of the water. You've probably all done this because you've got lakes around here. I haven't done it or hadn't. And then I got the rope between my you know, legs and pointing in the right direction, and then he took off. And so I first time I sort of fell over to the left, had a bit of a crash, came back, got set up, fell over to the right, crashed. Third time, I actually got it right, I went forwards. And I thought I was going to get up, but suddenly I did the splits. And that was the end of my skiing career because I pulled every you could say muscle or whatever there is somewhere between your knees and your tummy, everything got completely torn. And so for about the next month, I was a swollen wreck and everything went black and blue. Everything, everything. I was a very poor boy, but it's easy. And so the next thing, he got me on the biscuit. You know the biscuit, like a round floating device? I didn't know all this before. Anyway, I dragged myself up on the biscuit and I was quite sore, of course, and he's wondering why it took me so long to get on it like I was, you know, 130 years old. And so I got on the biscuit and then he took off and we went around a lake and I was actually going pretty well. I was hanging on really tight because I knew he was going to try and throw me off. They'd already told me that before I started. That's what they do. That's their fun. And then I was just getting to the point where I was thinking I was going to be all right. And I thought, I remember the moment that I thought, Alan, that's his name, is this all you've got? And then he took off and he swung me out so far and I'm just bouncing across, you know, and all the things that you do. And then suddenly he gave it a bit of a flick and I went flying. He said I was doing 100 kilometres an hour and I just did cartwheels across the water until I eventually crashed. And of course, it was very amusing for everybody that was there. But it's easy. It's easy. And then I, I did the, the kneeboard after that, and I actually managed that miraculously. But Jesus said, in the same sort of challenge, you know, you might hear something. The crowd that he was talking to obviously were getting news from somewhere, they were receiving information from somewhere, but he says to them, why don't you judge what is right? And sometimes we get told lies, but these lies actually come not from a friend who's supporting us, who wants the best for us, 
but actually from our own government or the media. Equity. I mentioned equality or equity, this word that Jesus brought up. Equity means being fair, and it's used to push for equal numbers of men and women in politics, sports, and business. It aims to erase inequality. But is that really fair? In fact, inequality is essential. When you strive for a better exam score, push for a promotion, or provide a better service, that's inequality. When you're entrepreneurial, using your gift, abilities, and energy to increase your status and income above others, benefiting employees, communities, and the world, that's inequality. The appointment of either men or women via a quota system, disregarding the best applicant, harms both the individual and society. It's inequality that's essential for successful culture. Another one I'll give you, and this is probably a bit more controversial, is coal a menace. Coal, you know, that black stuff we dig up out of the ground or sometimes it's brown. Is it a menace, as our culture is telling us? Australia is installing solar and wind renewable power per capita four to five times faster than the EU, Japan, China and the US. The Victorian government has set a high target for renewable energy, 40% by 2025. They've subsidised wind and solar and tripled the tax on brown coal. So, of course, why would businesses spend billions to upgrade ageing coal plants? The giant Hazelwood power station, closed down two years ago, provided 22% of Victoria's power the ninth to close down in Australia in five years. Now the Yalorn power station may close another 22% of Victoria's power and 8% of Australia's power. But wind and solar are unreliable and expensive. And when comparing energy output with carbon dioxide production, a modern coal-fired power plant emits 13% less carbon dioxide than solar. And now we have the highest wholesale power prices in the country and perhaps the world. So a lot of people are saying behind the scenes, we need cheap, reliable, clean baseload power by investing in new high efficiency, low emissions, coal-fired power stations to meet future energy needs. Australia has the second biggest coal resource in the world, enough to power the nation for another 1,095 years. Other countries are sensibly expanding use of fossil fuels for energy, like Japan, which is currently building 45 coal-fired power plants. This bill that has come before Parliament at the moment, the Births, Deaths and Marriages Bill, wanting to cement gender fluidity into law, Rita Panahi from the Herald Sun calls it lunacy dressed up as tolerance. Genders, are there two? Or as Facebook says, 71. Abortion, is it women's right to choose or the complete disregard for the rights of a child to live? Hardcore porn, is it freedom of information or the blatant and permission-giving sexual degradation of women? If you swallow one lie, you'll be able to swallow another and another and another. Jesus said, why don't you judge what is right? 
And I think we need to judge what is right. It's sometimes difficult, but the Holy Spirit will help us. The third and last instruction that Jesus gives the crowd from verse 58, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. Lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. Might, Roman lepton, literally a thin one, the smallest coin that they had, worth about half a cent today. Why, he says, you'll not depart from there till you've paid that very last amount. This in some ways, doesn't seem to fit. The first two instructions are to do with recognizing the Messiah, recognizing the times, judging what is right. The Messiah is here. Well, how does this fit? This is a, a bit of a picture of a large amount of money that's being owed to a wealthy merchant. And this wealthy merchant merchant has tried to retrieve the money. He's He's tried everything. He's tried negotiation. He's tried a little bit of pressure. He's tried a, a payment plan. He's proposed everything to this person who owes him money, and yet not the tiniest amount of money has been paid back. And so the last resort for this merchant is to drag this person before the courts. But this also is a picture of the coming king, the coming Messiah, the coming cross. Because this picture is about an incredibly big debt that can't be repaid or won't be repaid. It's impossible to repay it. And the Bible actually says here, why don't you make every effort along the way to settle with him? So this is all about effort. Now, Jesus in these times often talks about coming grace. Not long before, He'd spoken to a lawyer or a lawyer had approached Jesus and said, what do I do to, to uh, receive eternal life? You might remember this story. And Jesus said, well, what is your understanding of what the law means? And this lawyer comes up with this definition, if you like, of how to receive eternal life. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes into that and he says, do so and you will live. And sometimes we think, well, that's an instruction for us that we should give every part of our being to Christ. And perhaps there is some sense of that being true, but there's also this sense, and I call it the five impossibilities, because you can't really love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And I said to a group of people just last week uh, at a men's breakfast, I said, what if I, I tell you, uh, what if I say to you something about playing golf? You know, where would you like to tee off? And of course, their minds immediately go to their favorite golf course and this, you know, and start seeing themselves swinging a golf club because their mind has been suddenly distracted. And I said, you cannot possibly give the Lord 100% of your mind but neither can you give him 100% of your heart or your strength. We're using strength now. I'm using strength to stand right here. And yes, I've devoted my life to God, but I use strength for a whole lot of other things, including surfing. So there are the five 
or four impossibilities. And this is an impossibility also because Jesus is pointing towards the cross. He's pointing towards a time when Jesus himself will, will fulfill the law. When Jesus himself will give us his righteousness and take our sin upon himself. When it'll be all about what he will do, not what we will do. You see, this is still in the old covenant. No, this is a New Testament passage, but we're still in the old covenant. There's, there's no New Testament until the testator dies. And so the New Testament doesn't begin until Jesus hangs on a cross, until actually the last bit of life goes out of him. And then the New Testament begins. And so this is still the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is if you work hard, if you try and obey the law, if you do everything right, if you don't make any mistakes, if you're a perfect person, and then, of course, you'll get to heaven. But Jesus is saying, this is the impossibility. You will not be able to pay back any tiny amount. You can try. But in this qualifying for eternal life, in this qualifying for righteousness, in this qualifying for eternal perfection, there's only one way that we're going to receive it, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ and believing in him. If I were to list, and I actually online went and got a list of Bible sins because I was talking to someone about this very point, and I filled a page with what the Bible describes as sin. And as I was reading that whole page through, I was thinking about my own sins, the mistakes I've made in my life, the things I've done wrong, the thoughts that I've had that were ungodly. And I thought if I were to record my sins, the sins of my life, and I put it on paper, and even if it was probably a very, very tiny font, it would be enough paper probably to fill this building with the mistakes I've made. And I would never, ever be able to pay back to receive my righteousness, the tiniest lepton, the smallest coin, the smallest amount, except that I receive Christ. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It says in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You talked about boasting in Jesus. He wants to be really careful that we do not boast in ourselves. It's in him that we're made righteous. And so these three points are all really following the same theme. One, why don't you discern the time? Why don't you recognize the Messiah is here? Why don't you judge what is right? Why don't you see the miracles that I've been doing? Why don't you hear my message? Why don't you put your trust in me? And I want to point towards a time when you won't have to work hard. You won't have to strive. You won't have to make every effort to receive the kingdom, but simply believe. I was listening to a preacher just recently, and I'm just closing with this. 
And he was talking about a comforter. In the King James Version, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter amongst other descriptions. And he was talking about a comforter in the sense of a heavy blanket that you put on the bed. In America, they call that a comforter. It's like a very thick doona that goes on the bed. It's a very often spectacular, uh, very comfortable cover for the bed. And this pastor that was preaching said that he and his wife had a very threadbare bedspread on their bed. They were quite poor ministers. And they went to a friend's place and they saw this comforter. They saw this magnificent, thick, warm bedspread on this other person's bed. And they wanted it. They wanted something like it. They, they both of them suddenly thought, we want a comforter like that. And so they went out and bought one. And they brought it home and they put it on their bed. They put it over this threadbare bedspread that they had. And this pastor was just so looking forward to nighttime because he wanted to try out this comforter. He wanted to try out this nice, new, soft, beautiful, lovely, warm bed that he was going to sleep in. He went into his bedroom and it was gone. Somebody had stolen it. And so back on the bed was this threadbare bedspread and he said to his wife, what happened to the comforter? And she said, oh, oh, that's not to use. That's just for looks. And then they went into, and she put it in the cupboard. And then they went into this conversation about, about looks. And she said, and they thought, well, you know, these towels that I get out when guests come, you know, well, you're not allowed to use them. That's for the guests. And you get in big trouble if you use those towels. And there's all these other things that, you know, are for people to see, not really to use. And that's what this comforter is. And so he had to crawl back under his threadbare bedspread. And this pastor was saying, and I totally agree, it's a, it's a message for us. These people, this multitude, they missed Jesus. And, of course, they killed him in the end. They missed the Messiah. They missed their moment. They missed truth. But we also sometimes could need to think about whether we are missing truth. Are we missing truth in our culture? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. But sometimes we want the comforter for looks. We want the Holy Spirit. We want God. But we want God in our house, but then we just put him away tidily. Instead of allowing us ourselves to slip under his warmth, to, to live under him, to live in him, to enjoy him, to appreciate him, the third person of the Trinity, to, to be with him, to be in him, to have him upon us. And I think that's our challenge for today. Who is God, the Holy Spirit, to you? If you'd like to know a bit more about Family Voice, of course, some of you have done this. Things have changed a bit. We're mostly digital now, uh, but we still need your name, address, and email. 
You won't be charged anything, but you might be over time asked for a donation if you'd like to. But please do register. There's no financial commitment in it, but you'll get some truth. Put your name down. And if you'd like to pray about supporting Diane and I, help us walk on water, then take one of those with our picture on it. Lord, thank you for the comforter, for you, for the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Thank you for leading us, guiding us through the challenges of the culture, cultural change, the rise of socialism. Guide our teenagers, guide our children, protect them. Guide our older people through retirement. Guide our unborn children into life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.